Well, we are back with the Bread Truck Monday podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we have an interesting topic we're going to dive into here in just a moment. Um, but we are excited to have the whole group back together, all four of us. We, last week, it was just Ben and I just going back and forth. back in town. Yeah. <laughs> Boys and girls and girls are, are back in town. We have She's included. Gra- Gracie back in, in the, the graces here. This is my um, last podcast. This is her last. Oh. Do we have a boo? Oh, dang. What Wait, where's what, what, the sound? <laughs> oh, that's crickets. <laughs> <laughs> we, have, too, we have I the think. crickets. Yeah, we're sad. We're sad about Gracie. No, but we're excited for you. Thanks. Yesterday was a big day. It was a big day. Tell me about yesterday, Gracie. Well. <laughs> it was your final final day final, of the end? Last Sunday at High Lakes Christian. Uh, for now. For a time. Not forever. Not forever. I mean, maybe forever. Well, let's you not be too know. dramatic about this. <laughs> <laughs> Your dad will start crying right, right here on the, yeah. on the podcast. Tear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, last Sunday as an intern uh, at High Lakes, the church was really loving and um, encouraging and supportive of my next journey. And so I'm going to miss them a lot. But... I'm excited for what's next. Yeah, so, yeah. that was a cool, cool moment. We, uh, you grow, you kind of grew up here, obviously, and mm-hmm. so people have seen you since you were a wee wee chap, and then made yourself <laughs> up to this full full grown lady now and woman, and so it's pretty exciting for the church. I think it's, you know, when you see people who um, are success stories, you know, that's really awesome for the church to be able to uh, celebrate that, mm-hmm. but also to be able to say like, "Hey, this is something we're gonna we're gonna send this person out with with love and, and care." the The prayer time first service was a was a little chaotic though. Let's let's just, yeah. let's let's air that grievance yeah. out there yeah. for just a second. The microphone got passed like forty five times. I never got the microphone, so you I'm in the back. The I never got a chance to pray for for Gracie. Oh, yeah. I was her youth pastor you were, before you. <laughs> Yeah, it was just Eric was feeling left out. Well, everybody said amen, and then then people like look up and be like, "Oh, prayer's not over." Yeah, my yeah. dad was like, "In Jesus' name, amen." And I was like, "Uh, what do I do? I open That's my eyes, end? or?" And then the mic gets passed again, and then Rod. Gets, I love awkward prayers, man. <laughs> the church is so known for that. <laughs> regardless, it was really nice, and I was also super. I'm so incredibly thankful for um, the financial support that's come from the church. I've gotten a very, very large amount um, that'll go towards schooling, directly to my schooling. Um, And it just blows my mind. Like every day I sit down and and look at that total that I get to use towards school. And I'm like, how do people just give away this kind of money? (laughs) And my, my dad and I were talking about it yesterday. And I said, I said that same thing. I was like, how do people just give money like this away? And he was like, people get fired up when they see the next leaders in going into kingdom work. And so, yep, yeah, absolutely. It was awesome. I'm huge it, shout out to all of you. Absolutely. I think people, a lot of people wait for an opportunity mm-hmm. to support something they know they can believe in. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or someone <clears throat> they know they can believe in. Yeah. And that that is huge. You know, how many we, times have we said, I, I really want to help, but I just don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to take a massive risk. Yeah. Hey, don't. We're gonna talk about today. So yeah. don't don't yeah, jump yeah. jump no. the gun here. Um, but no, you're right. Nobody wants to join a sinking ship, right? Yeah. And so when they see that's what I'm saying. When they see success stories, and your success story is not done yet. You have a lot more ahead of you. But probably but, some fails too. Probably some fails. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But when they see people that they can, like your dad saying, to get behind, and and same thing with ministry, right? When we. When the youth ministry has three kids in it, it's hard to get like volunteers for that, right? It's just a fact. But when the youth ministry is like popping, then mm-hmm. people are like, okay, I want to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, kids ministry, when they see things like VBS coming up today, they're like, this is exciting. It's fun to be a part of. It's something that we can can get behind. But when the, yeah, when the, when the ship is careening off mm-hmm. a, you know, <laughs> waterfall, you know, it's not much fun to, to be a part of that kind of a thing. And people will be generous. People will give to those things. People will give of their time. You know, it's really, uh, it's an awesome thing to see. And it, hopefully for you, Gracie, it encourages you, right, for yeah. the future to say like, okay, hey, like people sacrificially, you know, gave to these things 
for me to continue my education, to push mm-hmm. forward. And that hopefully that, you know, encourages you and pushes you forward in that way too, as well. Um, one of encouragements I was going to say, but everybody left me out and they didn't pass the microphone around to me since I didn't get any of that. I got, I'm just, I'm just so upset about it. I didn't see any of this. I was, I had my guitar. Rod's you guitar. flinging the microphone every direction. But, but your direction. Yeah, but my direction. Um, no, but is don't ever lose your passion, right? Don't ever lose your passion for, for, uh, leadership as well as your passion for wanting to see the people come to know who Jesus is, right? That's the part that when it comes to like Bible college, there is a potential where you just get into that environment and the passion goes out the window because you're like, this is schoolwork, right? Right. And if you can keep that passion as kind of the forefront of your mind, I think, and I think you will, it's just that, you know, when you get busy, Right, getting busy can cause that that to, to be something where it holds us back sometimes. Mm-hmm. So that's what I was gonna say, but Isaac just chose not to allow, allow me to pray during on, on oh, Aaron was off limits. I know I was, I was not he allowed was to a dedicated worship guy. I should just grab we'll my only own allow the holiest <laughs> ones to pray. <laughs> that's yeah, right, that's right. Only the holy prayers. But well, today um, we're gonna dive into a, a topic today that Ben opened the door on. Okay, so. I'm not the one that's, that's stating these things. Ben opened the door on this, and it's going to be an interesting conversation about what do we do with homelessness? What do we do with those who are in need, and how do we help but not hurt, right? Mm. That That's kind of the thing that we're going to go with here in just a minute. Before we do that, Isaac, you're, you're back from camp. How did CIY go? How did uh, th- that time? We had a celebration of a baptism yesterday. Yeah. How, how oh, was yeah. CIY? Man, it was so good. We brought 14 or 15 of our students over there, and... Uh, CIY is just an amazing opportunity for students to experience breakthrough in their lives and just be real honest about what they got going on. And uh, we had a number of students share and be real vulnerable and see a lot of progress in their faith because they were holding on to things that they hadn't shared with anyone before. And so I, I really appreciate how CIY does that. They create environments where leaders can engage with their students in such a way that students want to make a decision to share something that's been holding them back. And, um, and just make new commitments for Jesus. So we had Tyson make a decision to be baptized, and Tyson's been coming Woo, to youth group for a long Tyson. time. Nice. And uh, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> he's been coming to youth group for a long time and has been hearing the gospel. But um, you know, he's been waiting till he was sure. And uh, I, I appreciate students like that who are willing to take the time to learn the ins and outs of what this commitment is going to look like. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't willing to jump into it without you know, being able to commit fully. And so I think he's one of those ones that's um, really, really into it. Um, and he's going to make a good, a great kingdom worker for Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited about that. Amen. That's so awesome. But yeah, um, Gracie's been there for Wynema Middle School Camp, for high school camp, and she's done a phenomenal job with her girls and discipling them and leading them in some really important conversations. So proud of you too for all the ways that you've been discipling those girls. That's Thank awesome. You. And then yesterday, Michael got to be a part of that. That was awesome. That, that baptism. Was so cool. I love when you do that. That is so... I mean, because you, you know that he was scared coming up there on stage and you had him pray and then also be a part of the baptism. Yeah. That, he did great, man. Yeah. He oh, did yeah. really well. I'm yeah. impressed by yeah. him. And I was just thinking about that, too. It's like, man, Michael's baptized probably three or four kids during his high school career, and he's going to be a junior this year, I think. Yeah. So like, I think it would just be a cool goal for the program to say, hey, I want each one of you guys to baptize someone by the time yeah, you graduate high school. You know, That's someone an amazing. You yeah. helped lead to Jesus. So. That's so cool. cool. That's a cool win. I love, like you said, I love those kids that um, take their time. I mean, yeah, obviously the decision to follow Jesus happen right can happen right away, and yeah. that's a really exciting thing. But somebody like Tyson, who's served, you know, mm-hmm. helped out in junior high ministry and been a part of the, the group for a while, and it just maybe hasn't all clicked right there for him. Yeah. But now he's like, hey, I want to follow Jesus, and and yeah. now this is the moment. It's like Owen. Owen said yeah, similar way. Owen. Owen came to the youth group for a long time, and then finally he came to me at camp that one day. He's like. I'm, it's time. Yeah. Like I'm ready to, to, to get baptized. I'm ready to follow Jesus, you know? And, and then he's all in. Yeah. We started calling him Pastor Owen the other day. <laughs> I love it. Because uh, yeah. he, he prayed during like the, the before service, like little huddle. Yeah. Had, and he was just killing it. it prayed was at just, the baptism too. Yeah. Did, of, yeah. Oh, did he really? No, he's doing, he's he maturing a, a lot in, yeah. in his leadership ability. He makes so. me tear up. Yeah. But we, it's okay. Uh, one of the really... <laughs> it's, okay. It's, okay. <laughs> it's okay. All happy tears. Um, we had a really interesting study as we worked through um, uh, leader meetings at CIY, and it was kind of covering where teens are at in their walk of faith. They did, like, one of the biggest studies partnered with Barna, and one of the craziest statistics is about three in five self-identified Christian teens haven't made a personal commitment to follow Jesus. And so just to look at our group, 
and kind of see that we're progressing towards higher numbers committing to Jesus is really encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's just kind of this assumption in our culture that if your parents are Christian, if you live in a Christian town, like it kind of counts for you. And uh, so I think making a decision to have Jesus be your personal Lord and Savior can be a little bit of a cliche thing, but there is this genuine individual commitment that a person needs to make before Jesus. I mean, we've all heard that God has no grandkids, so that mm. um, everyone has to make that decision. So that was a really interesting statistic they gave, yeah. Well, and that challenges you, right? Challenges you because then you're saying, okay, if there is, was it three out of five, you said? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so like you think about the size of the group right now, that there are people that have just been continually coming on, whether it's church on Sunday morning or teens specifically that, that are just haven't made that decision. They, yeah. they may have had. And I think one of the things that you've done so well, Isaac, is just like challenging those kids to make that decision. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's why we're seeing those baptisms. That's why, you know, we're having people like Michael going into the water with them. And then Ben yesterday went out and baptized like a million people <laughs> yesterday. What happened with that? What the heck? Yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah. So we have a couple that um, started attending the church about three months ago. Great couple. Um, and um, they're they're new to the area, new to the community. They've been in Central Oregon, but not to, not in Lapine specifically. And so, um, anyway, they started coming to the church. They're just uh, they were curious, um, seeking, and started coming to the church. And I'm like, man, this is right on. This is right on the page we need to be on. And so, husband and wife both made a decision to follow Christ and be baptized. And so, um, they put it on the calendar. Um, and they have a family um, cabin here in Lapine that they're living in, and it's been in the family for a while now, and it's kind of become the family reunion gathering place, and so they were they had a family reunion that was scheduled for, um, for this weekend, and so they had family coming in from all over the place, um, Wyoming, Montana, California, um, I think even some uh, spend part-time at least on the East Coast. Anyway, all these family members um, were converging on this cabin, and they found out that this couple was getting baptized. And so there were um, five other family members that said, you know, why haven't we done this? They're involved in their churches and they've been, um, for the most part, most of them have been involved in their church or <clears throat> or been walking with the Lord um, on some level for um, a number of years, but they just never had, had made that decision. And so five others were baptized as well. So we had we had seven river baptisms at this person's house. I called it their family revival. <laughs> and it was just so cool out on their deck. We, their, their cabin sits right on the river. So we just took them all out into the river and we did um, seven baptisms um, at their house. So wow. that puts us at 53 baptisms on the year, which is, if we need a clapping sound for that. Hold on, hold on. Oh, here we go. I'm fi- we wait, wait, which one is it? <laughs> yeah, there we go. We have... I have always thought that would be the coolest goal is to do a baptism a week for the year. Yeah. And we are, here we are, first week of August, um, down, and we've already exceeded that. We had 49 last year, I think, mm-hmm. and I was super bummed. I was like... <laughs> Trying to find cats and, and <laughs> dogs and other things to baptize because I was like, we're so close, we're so close, and um, but it didn't happen. But that was still a great year last year. Uh, lots to celebrate, and then to see what's happening this year, uh, man, there is revival. Yeah. in our city so it's really cool so awesome yeah. I mean it's such a crazy thing I, when you were saying they were going to have like seven out there I was like that is that's amazing yeah. especially when the fam- family comes around like that well, and, and we had the ones yesterday in first service where you know oh, person yeah. you went to school with got baptized right? and then after that then he baptized his daughter like yeah. you know back to back so, that's ten so we had ten one Sunday this is a good Sunday wow yeah. yeah, awesome well God's doing great things it's nothing that we're mm-hmm. doing it's all about the Lord and he's, he's been just continued to keep uh, challenging people mm-hmm. and, and, and to calling them out to, to follow him. Um, we had an interesting passage yesterday, an interesting passage, one that definitely we need to, to break down uh, today. I want to just, before we di- dive into that though, just real fast, Isaac, I want to get your generalized thoughts on this, this scripture because I've got Ben's yesterday, but it's an interesting one about Lazarus and this rich man and kind of what, what do you, what do you feel? Did you just pull a tooth out of your, <laughs> no, all my baby teeth are gone. Oh, okay. Gums so, lost its flavor and I don't have a trash can nearby. A so gum just came out of your forehead. <laughs> <laughs> it looked like a tooth there for a second. I was like, holy cow. I wouldn't be that casual if it was a tooth, <laughs> I don't think. Just pop that thing out. 
What do you think? What do you think about that? that this passage, Isaac. Do you think? I said, and we'll get dive into this a little bit more. Um, there's some uh, pretense that this may be about like um, eternal destiny of of you know eschatological stuff. But what do you think about this? What do you think about this story? Well, whenever I think eschatological, I think of my hunting expenditures where I always am trying to investigate the scat and figure out which variety it is. <laughs> so I don't know much about eschatology. Um, and for this story, I, I've i always focused, yeah, more on that, um, kind of this idea of a chasm and not being able to cross back and forth and giving a little bit of a theology of what that is like. And I think Ben did a good job probably of correcting some of that where maybe we overemphasize a little bit as to the literalness of the application there and more so on the the hardness of heart that the rich man had and how that hardness of heart the un, the inability to repent um, and to show compassion for the poor is indicative of a really unfortunate future and maybe this doesn't describe what that future looks like in precise theological terms but the fact is if we refuse to repent and show compassion to the least of these um, if we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven, so to speak. So there's, there's a definite lesson there. Mm. Yeah. Ben, can you kind of give us like the 30,000 foot overview of this story just real fast before we kind of break it down? Sure. So <clears throat> Jesus, uh, tells a story here, um, to specifically more to the Pharisees who loved money. Um, and, uh, he tells a story about a rich man. Um, who had a beggar every day laid at his gate by the name of Lazarus. Uh, Lazarus was uh, kind of a miserable um, guy, um, very unfortunate situation, covered in sores. And, um, and while the rich man obviously had all of his needs more than taken care of, and um, the, the, the beggar was longing for even the scraps that fell from the rich man's table. And um, anyway, so... Um, in the passing of time, they both died. They were both, um, one was buried, the rich man was buried, and the uh, Lazarus was carried by the angels to Abraham's side, and he was in comfort there, where the rich man was in torment in Hades. And um, so the rich man, being in torment, looked up and saw, um, you know, Abraham with Lazarus at his side and said, hey, Abraham, um, send Lazarus to dip his finger in the water and cool my tongue, because I'm in agony in these flames. And uh, Abraham said, well, um, no can do. Um, there's no crossing back and forth, first of all. Um, and secondly, you had your good things in, in, in life, and, and uh, he had his bad things, and now he's comforted and, and you're not. And that's just the way it is. Um, and so um, he said, okay, well, then at least send Lazarus to my, my family because I have brothers. I have, I have five brothers, and I don't want them to end up here. And, uh, and, and Abraham says, no, um, they've got Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. And he says, no, they need a resurrected messenger, essentially. No, if someone rises from the dead, they'll listen. Um, and he says, nope, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not listen even if someone rises from the dead. And that's how the story ends. Mm. It's kind of a downer. Yeah, it's really kind of a <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Yeah, yeah. So why do people get... Um... I guess caught in the weeds with this this story because if if you take it out the way that we took it yesterday, right? The the idea of compassion, uh, you know, and having a heart for the people that Jesus has the heart for, you you can understand the story a little bit better. Why do people get in the weeds looking at the fact of like, well, can you cross back and forth? Can this chasm? Can you when you're in hell? Can you talk to people? You know, why do people get caught up in that? In, in your opinion? Yeah, um, I think we're fascinated by the afterlife. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously, um, you know, there, there are stories of people that say I, I, I coded and I saw this or that and then I came back and we're fascinated by those stories. But the, the level of detail that's given in this story is perhaps more than what we're used to seeing. And so I think it's kind of an interesting take on this. And it's told by Jesus, who mm -hmm. nobody knows better than him, obviously. Yeah. And he he obviously sees beginning to end and knows what heaven is like. He says, um, no one knows the Father but the Son. Um, I came from the Father. So we know that Jesus, when he speaks about the afterlife, he he speaks from a place of divine knowledge, obviously. And so um, so then we wonder, do we press all the details of this story? Yeah. And I don't know that you can really communicate back and forth, but I think the 
the point of the story is that the longing that that Lazarus uh, was left unfulfilled for Lazarus as a poor man um, is the same longing that will be left unfulfilled for those who have no mercy on. Mm. Um, and so in order to make the story work, there has to be this communication back and forth in the afterlife. Uh, but I'm not so sure that that is a detail we should press. Mm-hmm. I do think the chasm, I mm-hmm. think the Bible teaches that in other places, um, that there that there's uh, it's appointed unto man once to die and after that to face the judgment. And I, I think there is an eternal um, an eternalness to the place that you go. So purgatory, that whole idea of Catholic purgatory is kind of out. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no there's no biblical basis for that as I see it. Um, I don't know any passage in Scripture that. Um, even necessarily even allows for that interpretation. So, mm-hmm. um, so I do think it is a fixed, a fixed uh, eternal destiny. But uh, as far as the communicating back and forth and, and literal flames, how can hell be a place of eternal darkness if it's got flames? So there's obviously some contradictions um, in terms of our ideas and understanding about heaven and hell. Dark, dark flames. Yeah, they're dark flames. That, that's, <laughs> um, that's an awesome band you know, name. If I was going to be a band, dark flames. Screamo. Yeah, Screamo yeah exactly. Um, so anyway, I, I just I think that we have to be careful on pressing all the details, but I do think that the general principles are definitely true. Well, and uh, Judaism, ancient Judaism, didn't have really a great... Um, I guess, theological concept of actual heaven, right? I mean, there was the idea of being like kind of welcomed into Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom. That's always a great one too as well. Um, <laughs> great place to be. Yeah. <laughs> but the idea of the eternal life in, in an actual like heaven was not something that was really discussed until the kingdom of God, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it, it, it originates before that. Okay. Um, but it... You're right. There wasn't a, a, a highly developed sense of the afterlife, but when Jesus shows up on the scene, um, there's already um, a sense among because there was a debate. I mentioned this yesterday. A debate among the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Um, the Sadducees actually bring a question to Jesus about the afterlife, trying to discredit the Pharisaical view that there was an afterlife. They they brought up the issue of if a woman was married seven times, whose wife will she be in the afterlife? And Jesus says. You are greatly mistaken here on trying to basically fit together these silly details. He, but, he, but he said, but that the dead do rise. Haven't you heard? I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus basically discredits the Sadducee view, which was that there was no afterlife. So Jesus affirms that. So I think we can definitely count on that. Um, and I think that there was Jesus as an Orthodox Jew as well. Um, there was a fairly developed sense of the afterlife by his point, okay, but not necessarily early on in Judaism. So, um, so the word Hades, um, where where um, the rich man unfortunately ends up, is um, is kind of the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Sheol, which is Sheol is just kind of a general word for the abode of the dead, the place where all of the dead go. Right. Um, um, this kind of shadowy, dark existence where. The spirits of humanity go when they die. There's nothing really good or bad about Sheol, um, but Hades developed kind of a threefold interpretation. One, it could just refer to death in general. Um, two, it could be the general place of the dead, like Sheol, which is how Hades in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And then the third one is the wicked, the place of the departed wicked. And in this story, in the context always determines how Hades should be translated. And here in this story, it's obvious that he's in a place of torment. So this is a place of where the wicked dead go. So this is a more developed sense of, um, of hell, which is uh, a similar idea to what Gehenna is in the Hebrew thought. And I don't have time to go get into that, and I don't want to bore you with all those details. But, <laughs> but Gehenna um, definitely is a, a a hellish sort of existence where the where the wicked go, um, and so that that is a very developed sense of eternal punishment for the wicked. And then Abraham's side is nowhere else used in any um, first century uh, um, Jewish literature, which is interesting. It's the only time it's ever used in the New Testament. It's the only time it's ever used in any other Jewish writing. So really interesting. There, there was an idea, though, that that the... Right, right here is the only... This is the only time that that phrase is ever used really? in Jewish literature that we know of. So 
Um, and I could go more into that, but I just, I don't have time, you know, I didn't have time in the sermon and stuff, but, um, but there was an idea that, um, that, um, that the dead will go to be with the fathers. You've heard the Hebrew, Hebrew phrase, he was gathered to his fathers. Mm-hmm. Um, that means that he died, but it means that... Especially his, like in Judges, you know, when they... Yeah, yeah. yeah when, they, when, when, a, when a leader or a person, a righteous person dies, that says they were gathered to their fathers. It kind of means that they went to the place where their ancestors, specifically the Jewish patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob went. And there's this idea that they went to a... A, a, an eternal place of of paradise or comfort, um, and so that's kind of where the idea of heaven starts. Hmm. Um, but then it gets far more developed, obviously, in the New Testament when Jesus talks more about my Father's house and right. many mansions and so forth. So, hmm. wow, dang, that's deep. If you if you're listening on that, man, you just you just learned a, a wealth of wisdom right there from from <laughs> Pastor Ben. Well, then you um you open the door to this idea of what do we do then with kind of the the practical nature of this story where someone is a beggar and in need. And now we potentially are on the other side of that, trying to see this beggar going through this experience. And what do we do now? This is um, obviously a big issue in our society and and especially in Oregon, I think, I mean, it happens everywhere, but we have, we have one of the highest rates of homelessness inside of our, our state, which is crazy our state is pretty small and the state in terms of those that are homeless it is very rather high just inside i was doing some research uh, for today just inside of deschutes county there's over 1300 unhoused people in bend proper which is i mean that's a lot 1300 in all of san diego county there's 1700 so wow. so you, when you're starting to think about the the nature of homelessness and how these different areas are dealing with this um it's something that i think is very prevalent to our people here right here because we you know you drive by um home depot and there's people standing right out on the other side with the signs every single time if you go anywhere downtown you're, if you're right on 97 there's encampments that take place mm-hmm. and it becomes very easy to get um frustrated becomes very easy to get like um i guess bitter towards the situation you're like why is nothing happening why is nothing changing and it's interesting i guess last year in 2022 Ben City Council sat down and had a meeting and they said, okay, we're going to make this new rule that every day you have to move 600 feet. Like that you have to like, if whatever your encampment is, 24 hour period, you have to move 600 feet. Which, what does that do? It done literally <laughs> nothing. That's not enforced at all. It's ever, not enforced clearly. at all. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's, it's never enforced and it does nothing. It's like, what is 600 feet? I mean, that's just completely stupid. And so it's like we try to put these things into um, political hands mm-hmm. and they don't do anything. Mm-hmm. So I guess the question that I, I have for today is what do we do with something like this? What do we do with homelessness? What do we do with those who are in need? And I, I said, all three of you can feel free to okay, jump every, into this. Everybody's got to listen in on this because. These four people around this table are going to solve homelessness. <laughs> we are. And world hunger. And world hunger. And yes. world hunger. Yes. Two birds with one. Yeah, we're not going to be able to solve it. Short podcast. And it's a short... In a 20-minute uh, podcast. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be sweet. All right, listen in. Yeah. I mean, because get... I think it's something that our people deal with, re- honestly. Like, because you, you drive by it, and you're like, what do I do? I think what we deal with is, um, for some of us, frustration. For others of us... We deal with guilt that, you know, for others, we deal with confusion. Like, what is my role and how can I help, especially when there's this much need? Um, Others, uh, another part of confusion is, does my helping them enable them? And Mm -hmm. um, and do do I really want to do that, you know? And then you read a story like this and you go, this guy winds up in hell because... Essentially, he he he's a calloused heart towards um, the poor, and the question becomes, what is that me? And if so, this story has eternal consequences, and my reaction to other people in need could have eternal consequences potentially. And so, what do I do? You know, and that's a very tough question. So, I'd love to hear your guys' take on it. I gave some of my take yesterday. So. Oh, Gracie, go first. What do you think about that? Because, like, what he's, do you see what he's saying there? The mm-hmm. idea that if if this does have eternal consequence, well, then it matters today, right? In terms of how we view compassion, you know? Well, I mean, first of all, you, you look at this story and, and you have to wonder is this an apples to apples comparison? 
this poor man named Lazarus, who's been laid at uh, the rich man's gate, is this an apples to apples comparison with homelessness in our society? And and I dealt with that a little bit yesterday. I'm not going to try to influence the conversation that way today, but but I dealt with that yesterday. Is this an apples to apples comparison? And um, and you know maybe you guys have a different take on that. Yeah, what do I you mean. think, Gracie? I loved the point that you made yesterday about how can I help. One of the things that you said is give food, not money. And um, sometimes I think um, it's such a good opportunity for us to spread the gospel, which is infinite. It's an infinite resource Mm. rather than a finite resource. Mm. Um, So like even if you give them like money or food or um, something like that. Sometimes it makes me wonder, like, does this enable them to keep staying where they're at because they don't need to do anything else differently to get what they need? Um, but when we look at it, it's kind of like if I paired um, providing them food or a jacket with an opportunity to share the gospel, then, you know, at least... I'm hopefully making an impact in that way. Eternal kind of a yeah, thing. An yeah, an eternal impact instead yeah. of just... Interesting fact that uh, I found yesterday is that unsheltered individuals accept shelter only about 10% of the time. Mm. So people that are that are already kind of in those environments, like you're saying, the, <laughs> the desire to sometimes pull oneself out of that mm-hmm. is not always there either. And you talked about this idea of... Uh, you have to wait till somebody hits rock bottom yeah. to some extent in terms of wanting to actually step forward and out of the, the, those spaces. So that again, kind of plays into what you're saying, Grace. Sometimes the, 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 uh, the immediate help is not the help they actually need at that time, yeah. but that's hard for us to decipher. What about you, Isaac? What do you think on that in terms of how we, we view this? Yeah, it's, it's really hard. And I'll just, I mean, be honest, like the rest of us, I don't, I don't always know. Um, and that line between helping too much and enabling and just reaching out because they're a fellow human being. Um, it's tough to say where each person is, especially without knowing their story. And that's what makes it especially hard when you see somebody like maybe coming up to you and asking for help. Um, is this enabling or is this genuinely helping someone without knowing their story? And so part of me thinks, well, just give them the benefit of the doubt and give them, you know, some like, like my wife Millie likes to make, little food packs and put them in Ziplocs and keep them in our cars just to hand out. Um, and I do think that's always wiser than just giving cash. Um, because then like it or not, you, you may be helping an addiction thing. So, uh, it's hard. Um, but I think what it comes down to is acknowledging that, uh, and this is what the rich man failed to do, I think is to acknowledge that this person is a human person. And yeah. insofar as every homeless person is a human being, they've got the image of God on them. And, some of their uh, choices that they've made, some of the things that have been done to them have led them to be in this place. We don't know how much of it is stuff that they've decided to do, um, how much of it is genetic, um, how much of it is uh, mental, how much of it is personal stupid choices. And it's not always available to us to determine what percentage is what and how that should affect how we respond. And so I think coming at this whole thing um, with a perspective of grace and... um, one of the things that I try to think about is like after my dad passed away and I saw um, my mom become a widow, I, I began to see like older women in particular who are on the streets is like, wow, if something like I wonder what happened in their life, you yeah. know, like, mm. thank God that's not my mom, but it's probably someone's. Yeah. Right. Um, and so just that changed my perspective on things and it began to break my heart for these people because we don't, everybody's one tragedy away right. from be- becoming in that position. So, um, I, it's tough for me to say, yeah. but I, I, I do tend to agree with Ben in regards of like, um, people do need to hit a rock bottom, um, in order to, um, make a change sometimes. And so it's difficult. Yeah. I don't know. Well, and I think I appreciate how you kind of like showed there's all those pieces that are Mm -hmm. moving all at the same time. I remember when I was in college, we had to watch this movie called God Bless the Child. Mm. And it's like this 1980s movie about how essentially, yeah, one or two unfortunate situations that take place 
can lead to poverty, right? Yeah. And it and it's an extremely depressing movie. Don't watch it. You'll just you'll, you'll never. It's not it's not a grab your popcorn kind of movie, but um, but it is sad when you think about that. That like yeah, one or two things that go unfortunately wrong can lead to this. But then you throw in drug use, then you throw in mental illness, then you throw in uh, cost of living, and then you th- and you just this all this giant ball of mess keeps going. And so I guess the thing I'm trying to hopefully show today a little bit is the fact that, you know, you might be driving in your car and you're thinking, there's nothing I can do, right? And it's the disparity or us feeling, that's not the right word, us feeling in despair because if we look at the situation, we think, I can't do anything. Mm -hmm. Gracie, you were going to say something just a minute before I cut you off. I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. Um, I just was thinking like our area especially is really good about resources for them. And, you know, you told a story once at youth group about you and Millie sitting down at Mod Pizza and this guy like mm-hmm. was asking for food or something and you... Well, he was asking like for help to get a job actually. Um, homeless guy and just... Um, and I was like, nah, I don't have time for this. And Millie just looked at me like, I, you will die if you don't help him. Like, I will kill you. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I like, gave him my number and stuff and... and that's really actually a really funny story if I told the whole thing, but I don't have time for that. But I ended up helping him, and uh, he did get a job. Really? Um, yeah. So I think just uh, occasionally engaging with people, I think it's really important rather than stereotyping everyone as needing to hit a rock bottom. What if we were right. to actually intentionally try to build a relationship with – I love that analogy that Ben shared with starfish. Um, mm-hmm. It made a difference to that one. And I think that there is an ethical um, command to – um, to at least try to engage one and get to know their story because their story isn't all the same. And, mm-hmm. um, so by spending time with Yancey, um, I was able to help land him a job and build him a resume and stuff like that. And he was doing really good for a while until I called him 10 years later and he picked up the phone. I said, Yancey, how you doing? He says, I'm doing great. I'm the West coast's number one cocaine dealer. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> so, so he got a job. He, uh, yeah, he got a job. But he was he was a chef for about five years mm. and working, doing good. And now he's just dealing cocaine. So maybe that's maybe that shows that it, the whole thing is useless. I don't know. <laughs> Thank you, Isaac. No. Just this, what was that about you said about despair, yeah, Aaron? Yeah, yeah. Just this just heartwarming story. Yeah, it made like, a difference to this one. He is now the ultimate cocaine yeah, exactly. perfect. <laughs> and now you so much. And now you've added him on on this, the yeah, podcast. Exactly. my dad and i yesterday were talking about how awesome it is that we have people in our church that are serious success stories Mm -hmm. that have come off the streets they've kicked addiction to the curb Mm -hmm. and welcomed jesus into their lives and they've been transformed and like it's what like not trying to pick favorites here but the recovery group is one of my favorite groups that's in our church yeah Mm -hmm. like they're just so Oh, I don't um, mind picking that favorite. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. They're just so like raw and yeah. Invested. Well, I mean, you think about like Tim Benware. Love Tim, mm-hmm. and and Tim, he's told a st- story here, so I'm not sh- out in anything else. But he he has gone through being homeless. He's been on the streets. He's done you know all the things that you would think would be uh, that are wrong in, in in that situation. And then he found Jesus, mm-hmm. and Jesus changed his life, and he returned back like the prodigal, like we talked about last mm-hmm. week, and and made those. And so yeah, we have those success stories in our church, and you know telling and sharing those stories is is vital to be able to see that there there is a way out. And that, and that, I guess that's what I'm saying when it comes to the congregation, when the, when the general public is sitting there and saying, well, why don't they just clean up these tent shelters? And you're like, well, okay, look at the success stories that we've had in our, even in our body of believers right here. And yes, it might be frustrating. Yes, it might feel overwhelming and we're in despair. And we eventually help one guy become the greatest Coke dealer in, in <laughs> all, all of the United States. But but yeah. there are success stories that happen. Well, Tim is one of those success stories, and I'm not going to tell his story except the part that um, where I came into relationship with him, and that's when he stopped by the church because he um, he needed to do some 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 work for an organization. He needed some community service hours, basically. And I said, "Hey, you need community service. We need 
service. We need help with different things. And so come on by and I'll put you to work. Well, we were remodeling the nursery at the time. Yeah. And <laughs> that's a funny story too. Um, <laughs> he started sweeping up that nursery. <laughs> and as he was sweeping up the nursery, the, the broom snapped and it cut his finger all the way to the bone. Just crap. Yeah. It was one of those aluminum broom handles oh and it folded God. in half on his finger <laughs> on and just job. sliced him. Right before youth group, blood is just going down the hallway. It's in the bathroom. Yeah. Anyway, that, Anyways, that's a whole other story. story yeah. But it's so cool because... Like here's here's a guy who who needed who needed some help and he was willing to reach out. We started a relationship with him. Was he like perfectly in with the Lord and good, completely you know clean and sober at that time? No, not really. But through that relationship and over the period of time, um, things changed for him. And he told me yesterday he's graduating from university. In yes, th- in three weeks. Yeah. Awesome. So just cool. an incredible. Wow. I mean. Yeah, and, and he's not the only story like that in the church. There's several others. So so here's the controversial thing, which I get into sometimes with people. Um, but it's like, what role does the church have in going out and serving the homeless, so to speak, whether that's, you know, providing meals in a park or um, helping <laughs> some churches are doing needle exchanges. Um, so uh, what role does the church have to go out and quote-unquote help? Um Versus the church being a place that is a um, that that must be chosen by these people. Um, there's a rock bottom. They know that they need to change in their life, and they show up at a church for community service, and mm-hmm. their difference begins to happen. And I think part of the reason it sounds controversial is because, like, I I tend to think that in order for people to experience the transformation that they need in their lives, a meal every Wednesday at six p.m may not be the one that does it. Um, mm-hmm. And because then we're just allowing them to continue to go out on the street and guarantee that there's a meal every day here for them to, to, to sustain, them, sustain them in their um, homelessness versus mm-hmm. someone who says, I need out of this. I'm going to show up at church and hear about Jesus. And they hear about the recovery ministry. They start going there. And we've seen more recovery stories from that group. Um, we're, we're literally healing people from their addictions and, and, and rescuing them from a life off the streets, not because we're doing all of this outreach, but because people say, I need a change and it's Jesus and they find him here. Mm-hmm. And that's, so mm-hmm. I think we may be enabling at, um, some churches by doing all of this outreach without actually outreaching with Jesus and the gospel. Um, they don't ever hear about Jesus. They just get a meal. And I think that Jesus has to be the core of the outreach. Mm-hmm. If we're going to do that. Um, yeah. it's my Kind of controversial thought for the day. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you bring up a good point, and the point is that the gospel has to remain front and center. Now, James is interesting because he says, um, you know, if you see a brother or sister naked and destitute, and you just say, depart in peace, and you don't do anything for mm-hmm. their physical needs, what good is it? And he's, he's making the argument from a faith versus work standpoint. So it's not, um, that's the thought behind it, obviously. But, but when I look at how, um, you know, the church really had, we, we have limited resources, um, both in time and financial and in the efforts that we put mm-hmm. forth. And so, you know, one of the things that I, as a pastor and as a, as a spiritual leader, one of the struggles I have is like, we have to prioritize yeah. what is the best bang for the buck in terms of people um, um, hearing the gospel and people um having their lives transformed. Mm-hmm. What's the best bang for the buck? Because we can't do everything. Right. Right. We've got the one starfish in our hand, you know, and we say, what, how can I make a difference for this one here? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and I think it's unfortunate that when we think about homelessness, we think about the broad spectrum of the problem. Right. And we think, well, if I can't solve the whole thing, then I don't want to do anything. Well, that's, which is what you said when we started this conversation. Yeah. yeah. We're going to solve it. We, we, we're not going to solve can't. it. Exactly. Right. So, you know, one of the challenges I have is I want to, I want to look at what, what gospel impact um, are the church's efforts in homeless ministry having? And it may be unfair because it may, I'm sure it's different in different locations and in different um, methods of this outreach, but, but I'm kind of with Isaac on this. I don't, I don't know if that's the best bang for the buck in terms of um, our evangelism efforts to, to the lost 
lost community. So, yeah. well, there's um, there's the Acts six passage right where the church realizes that they need to hire a few more guys, uh, deacons, um, so mm-hmm. to speak, because the the widows were going, um, they they weren't receiving food. Mm-hmm. So there's this idea that the church was prioritizing those widows within the church and providing welfare for those who were within the church, for those who had made a decision um, that. Jesus was the way and they had committed their lives to the church. Those were the ones that were going to receive the the priority. There's Paul who takes up a, uh, an offering, a collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you see this even in the New Testament where the church is prioritizing those who have chosen Jesus um, because those are the ones will, that will continue long term seeing success and transformation. And mm-hmm. I, so I think that there is something to be said for folks who realize a rock bottom and come to the church, they should be rewarded for that decision. They should be priority. Prioritized um, for that. Well, I think, again, limited resources. So who do we help first? Do we help insiders or those who are at least on the fringe wanting to become insiders? Or do we help people who have no interest whatsoever in what the church has to offer other than meet my immediate physical needs. And I think there's an open door of opportunity spiritually with those who have an interest and are, are wanting to move that direction. I think those are the people we invest in. Well, and it's one of the things that we do here is we have a very good system with our benevolence team that I think does that exact thing. We have uh, people that come in, and people who are listening to this may not know this, but people come in every week yeah. with with need. Um, just I got a call just the other day about a guy that, you know, he gave me a story that I'm not sure if it's exactly accurate, but said all these things that he wanted to have happen and wanted us to buy him a bus ticket and everything and stuff. When I told him about our process of, you know, coming in, filling out an application and having this team meet with him, he didn't want to hear any of that. He hung up the phone, right? And so you have both sides. But one of the things I think that we do here a very good job of is we're not just like like Isaac saying just giving a hand out we're striving to give a hand up and and to bring people hopefully into an, a relationship with Jesus as they sit down and talk with these awesome uh, men and women who are part of this benevolence team to be able to have an interview and say hey, how, how can we get you out of this situation not just continue in the perpetual cycle of mm-hmm. it happening over and over and over again um, and and that that part allows us to, to be able to say to to somebody who is in need we do help and yesterday we took up an offering. Uh, wait, I'm not sure what the numbers were on that yet, but we took out, up an offering yesterday just for that exact thing. So none of the offerings that were given yesterday go to anything here at the building for you know keeping the lights on or paying our, our staff or anything. It goes directly to that thing because we, we do have a shotgun approach at it, to helping those who are in need outside of the building, not just those who are inside. Mm-hmm. But we do have a priority, like you're saying, and I think we have a responsibility and accountability to those who do say, hey, I want to change my life. I want to see... Or maybe their life has already changed because they're Christians in need. Absolutely. Many Mm -hmm. of them. And so it's like, you know, there's something that seems wrong about, you know, um, helping someone who comes to the church only for what we can give them for their physical needs if we are ignoring those in the church who are already followers of Christ who have physical needs. Yeah. I'm not saying we should mimic the Mormon church and everything, but that's an interesting point. I, um, I've talked to Mormon leaders, and one of the things that is a priority for them is they do not help financially anybody that is outside the church, hmm. period. End of discussion, end of story. If you're inside the church and you have a relationship with the church, they, they are all about helping you. If you are not in the church, then you have to find some other, uh, you know, resource for your needs. And I'm not saying we should imitate everything, and I'm not even sure that's always the best approach. I'm not saying that. I'm just using that as a comparison. So in in, in the New Testament, then the question becomes, do we see the church involved in outreach, this sort of outreach, to the unbelieving community? And that's that's an interesting question. Um, You read through the book of Acts... (laughs) That's a tough one because um, I personally don't see it, um, but we don't have all the data either. So I want to be careful. To I, I'm not saying that the church should not help. I'm just saying I don't know if we see that in the New Testament church. Yeah, at the very least, it should be a both and, I think, right? I mean, prioritize those who have made the commitment to a community. I, I think that's part of the pull, right? Too, it's an evangelistic thing where it's like if if people are going to place 
a commitment in Jesus and in this community, then they're going to receive the support that comes from this community. And I mm -hmm. think if we give that out too willy-nilly, then people are going to receive food and not receive Jesus. And that's I think we'll be held accountable for that as a church. If we're giving out food and failing to give out Jesus, then um, what have we won in the end? Mm -hmm. And so it has to first be, here's Jesus, take some food with it, um, than it is, here's food, <laughs> Take some food and forget about Jesus. But so what little, are you saying? You're saying our help is like ibuprofen? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Has to be taken with food? Exactly. Take, take yeah. a little bit with Jesus. But I think the, the, the thing that comes to mind then immediately is like, well, what about Jesus? Right? So we don't see the church doing that, but we see Jesus going to the pool of Bethesda. Is that the right Bethesda? name for the pool? You got Bethesda. it. Bethesda. And, um, no, he's right. Bethesda. Maybe there's two terms. There's more than one. Um, and healing the guy who's been there for 38 years, right? He was a total stranger, had nothing to do with the quote-unquote church or even the synagogue. He wouldn't have been let in there. He couldn't move. So we see Jesus going out time and time again to people who have absolutely no commitment to the kingdom um, and providing help. Yeah. So if even if we don't see the church doing that, but we see Jesus doing that, should we as a church not at least make that one of our priorities um, is going out and helping people who have absolutely no connection and no desire whatsoever to step in. Um, how do you guys balance that? Yeah. It's a plan I think the planting of the seeds yeah. idea that, that even if they don't have any desire at all, maybe by the, by that one meal, by that one pillow that is given by the, you know, there's um, night strike that happens down in Portland every single, they do this thing where it's a ministry to cut people's hair and, and those things, but they have no desire to probably to step into a church or step into an environment with Jesus. But having that one need met might be the thing that, that, pushes them over the edge, you know, and Jesus, you're right. He does that. But he, Jesus also says the poor you will always have. When people start asking him about why the money wasn't spent in a way that right. could help the poor, he specifically says they're always going to be here. Mm -hmm. And for the rest of eternity, because of sin and the brokenness of this world, well, the rest of this world, yeah, yeah. it's going to be, there's going to be, there's going to be poverty that's going to happen. Um, but, I, but I, I guess I, I wrestle with that, that, that tension because it's like, yeah, but what if that one thing you know, what if Ben had not said to Tim when Tim came in, we have nothing for you? Apart from all that. Right, I get, exactly. Even if Tim never would have come around. Right. There's still the Matthew 25 passage. It says, I was sick and you visited me. I yep. was thirsty. I was naked. I was in prison. And there's no inclination whatsoever or no... Um, there's no hint whatsoever that these people ended up coming to Jesus, right. coming to faith. It was just you did it for no other reason than they were in need. Yeah. So that's it's like... And that brings it all the way back around to this parable that Jesus is saying. There is some form, whatever that is, some form of accountability that comes yes. on us in terms of how we view compassion. Mm -hmm. And whether that is with a, an eye towards evangelism or if it's an eye towards, you know, just doing what is the right thing to do, mm -hmm. obviously there it, it does matter. Because Jesus wouldn't have told this story if it wasn't any um, implication to how we should be living right. and how we go about, you know, taking care of those who are hurting and, and those who are in need. And that's why I said that's what we. I think Ben said something really, really good yesterday. I think it was the, the best thing you said yesterday. Was this? You said, uh, "Don't do nothing," hmm. right? And and that kind of if you think about that, don't do nothing. Well, that means I got to do something. Maybe I need to pray. Maybe I need to, to have a little meal bag in my car. Maybe I need to, to reach out and give out some socks or whatever. But don't do nothing. Mm -hmm. Doing nothing hardens that heart towards mm -hmm. what the compassion is that Jesus obviously had because he looked at people and he said, this person needs help wherever they're at in life. The, 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 wit, the widow who's walking with her son who's, who's passed away and Jesus reached out and touched. They had no inclination they were going to come and follow him, but he heals that situation because he knows that widow is now going to be homeless potentially on the mm -hmm. side of the street as well. You know, so how does how do we step in to the gaps for people when when they're hurting? I think one of the things that I I think about with the don't do nothing thing is um, one of the alternative um, potential ways to help is. See, I think all of us are concerned that handing some form of help to someone who's panhandling on the street is is too great a risk in terms of them either misusing it or 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 wasting it in some way that is doesn't actually go to their true needs. I think that is the the primary concern of most people that could help is like, am I really helping? <laughs> Or am I just helping 
um, this person stay in their situation and stay in their addiction. Cause I'm not interested in that kind of help. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I said yesterday is, and I got this from several people who work with the homeless community. I won't say in what capacity who, who spent a lot of time dealing with the homeless community. And the thing that both of these people said, they said, um, they didn't say don't help people on the street, but they said, help people, you know, Mm-hmm. Because you don't have to wonder. I mean, in some respects, giving to somebody in need is always a risk, right? Because you, yeah. once you give it, you don't have any control of how they're going to use it. Mm-hmm. Even Gracie, people get money to Gracie. You never know; she might hundred percent. She could become take it and yeah, she could become a co- the West largest cocaine dealer. <laughs> um, but but the point I was making with help people you know is it's far less of a risk, and you can feel like you're actually making a difference in somebody's mm-hmm. life. You don't, it doesn't have to be someone on the street. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it might be someone who has subpar housing, you know, mm-hmm. they, they may be a neighbor, you know, mm-hmm. and there are lots of those people here, right here in Lapine and probably on your street and you yeah. probably know their name. Yeah. And it's like, why aren't we helping? Why are those people not being considered as our potential Lazarus. Why is it only the person who's holding the cardboard sign on the street corner? Mm-hmm. It ought to be people in our... Isaac mentioned widows. Um, you know, that's a great issue because Social Security is not enough to live on, period. I don't mm-hmm. care who you are. You know, even one income, one full income is not enough for a family to live on. And so there's families that are sometimes going without and those kinds of things. So... Um, I don't think that Lazarus and and street corner sign holders are necessarily an apples to apples comparison. Tipping mm-hmm. my hand here a little bit. So well, and I think the story shows that right. He's named. He's named. Yeah. And he was at his gate every single day. And he was laid there. Yeah. What does that say? Yeah. Somebody okay. carried him. Somebody had to carry him. Yeah. He 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 physically had a reason that he was in the situation he was in. Mm-hmm. And so... But I think what you're saying, I love that idea. It's like, I think some sometimes our our help, whether it's $5 to a panhandler or whatever, is it doesn't do much because we don't make time to actually get to know these people. And mm-hmm. I think if we were a less rushed people, mm-hmm. and we would actually, like one of the best things we could do Go to the community kitchen and serve mm-hmm. a meal and get yeah. to know some of those names, like mm-hmm. you said. Absolutely. Um, go to Drake Park and sit down with someone and get to know their story. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what actually helps us make a long-term difference because maybe they didn't have time to tell you on the street corner that what they're really in need of is help building a resume. But if you sit down with them at a table and they say, this is what I really need, then you're obligated um, to actually do something more than... Um, give five dollars or something like that so relationship is the key absolutely and and don't have your eyes closed to those who are right around you like you're Mm -hmm. saying i mean people on your street people in our church people sitting in the row there are people in in our church that that need jobs Mm -hmm. that that need need a uh, they just don't know where to turn you know Mm -hmm. and having your eyes open on even during greeting time when you're greeting somebody Mm -hmm. say how, how are you really doing, you know? Mm-hmm. And don't just be so so quick to rush out of church and 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 forget about the, the needs that are even here too as well. So I don't know if we solved anything. I think we went round and round, <laughs> and uh, and I, I think we've solved the world problems in this in this moment. But but it's something I think that I think we all deal with. And every single person that drives <laughs> down the street or walks and sees those who are in need has asked this question. Am I helping or am I hurting? And, yeah, and, and something I think we all need to continue to, to have it fresh in our mind. Our world is a place that wants to name problems as global issues. And they just give it a big name like homelessness or climate change or world all hunger. the things, world hunger. And that what that does is it makes a person like me paralyzed with, I'm not going to be able to do anything. Right. So I think one of the lessons from today is know someone's name mm-hmm. who is in need. Um Get to know their story and don't forget about your neighbors next door who are maybe obviously in need as well. And I think start there. That's that's the call to Jesus is people who are there in our place, who we know their names. And so often, as C.S. Lewis says, we'd rather give money to a Compassion International, nothing wrong with that, $30 a month than someone who we know for a fact and know their name and know their story. Uh, let's do both and not just the far away. So Yeah. 
Awesome. Well, member of the week, somebody we want to want to shout out today. Anybody got some some member of the week folks that maybe uh, have been putting in some extra effort? We have VBS tonight, so there's going to be a ton of folks around here that are going to be helping out with that. And I think it's up to 75 kids have, are registered right now for VBS. So wow. it's going to be awesome. So awesome. maybe just a, a shout out to I, all those volunteers. I got Go one uh, in addition to the volunteers, but uh, Angie. Angie Smith has just been absolutely oh, yeah, phenomenal yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this summer and with our That's students. That's my wife, for those and, that uh, don't know. Yeah, she... <laughs> so impressed. It's she's like a 25-year youth ministry veteran, and she knows what she's doing with those girls. She makes a huge impact with them, and uh, poor Angie took her car over to the valley this week and had a head gasket blow out on her in her car, so this is the... <laughs> downsides of youth ministry the volunteering youth, right there but, uh, volunteer with the youth group your car will blow so, up <laughs> sorry Angie, and also thank you yeah. for all that you do every youth group trip is there's like some kind of travel gremlin that's yep. involved that, there was two this there was trip. yeah they hit a deer too as well um, awesome. Hey, this episode is brought to you by the guys over at Ponderosa Pizza for their men's breakfast that they do. And I, I forgot about it Saturday. I, I was planning on going and then I slept in. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Dave. I was not there. But they have they are packing that place out with breakfast pizza every first Saturday of, of, so the, of the... We can put some on the dumpster out back for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that, that happens every single first uh, Saturday of the month. And we, we are so encouraged by those guys. So hopefully you have a great rest your week and again look around have your eyes open to the people around you meet some people uh, find out some names help people uh, get, get a hand up not a handout i'll talk to you later have a great rest of your week <laughs>